Welcome to Breaking Barriers. You know your path. We know the obstacles. And we can teach you how to tear them down. And now your host, CEO and founder of Adapting Social, John Vigero. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Breaking Barriers. With me, my co-host, Sal Ventry. What's up, everybody? And today, we got a special guest. I'm really excited about this guy. Um, he's always making moves up there in the city. Um, my man, Jason Malky with Startup Boost. Jason, I don't think I can do a better introduction than you can with all the shit you have going on. So if you can, for people who don't know who the fuck you are, give us a quick little SparkNotes version. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So uh, I have a Startup Boost, which is a startup event series and ecosystem in New York City. We have about 30,000 people in our newsletter. We do about 25 tech events a year. Our whole mission is really just to connect and educate uh, Seek the Series 8 founders, as well as biz dev marketing and sales types. And uh, in regards to events, you know, we do a variety of different things. We do mixers, panels, uh, investor nights, expos. We've been doing it in New York City for about five years now. And actually, uh, June 19th, we're expanding out into Boston. We're bringing our investor night out there. So, you know, slowly but surely trying to, trying to take over the map. But uh, yeah, we've been doing it for a while. Are you, move, are you trying to move to Boston yourself? No, man, I'm, st- I'm going to be in North Jersey, New York City, but, uh, you know, it's something where we see it as a good market and a good opportunity, so we're going to be back and forth. I love it, man. And real quick, for people out there who don't know, obviously, the moves you're making, how, how did you have this idea to start this? Oh, man, that's a great question. So, for me, in regards to, like, launching Startup Boost, it's a very long story. I mean, that's a pretty long story, so I'll jump into it. So, uh, you know, growing up, I was always an entrepreneur, right? Both my parents are entrepreneurs. Um, and it's something where while I was in college, I was like, you know, I'm never going to work for anybody. I know myself, I grew up working, you know, in my parents' stores, you know, it's because my parents did a bunch of things. They used to do a lot of uh, manufacturing. Then they got into wholesale and retail with uh, textiles. And, uh, you know, growing up, I was always like unloading trucks, breaking boxes, you know, putting clothing on racks and behind the cash register. I always said to myself, I'm going to run my own business, but, you know, I don't want to be busting my butt or busting my back for the next, you know, 30, 40 years like my parents. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of sweat, a lot of stress. And so while I was in college, you know, I was looking around, I was like, you know, this is 2006 when I was a freshman, and uh, Facebook was getting big, you know, YouTube was getting a lot of ground, and uh, my brother actually launched a, a startup, uh, like this video startup, because he was in film, and uh, his whole idea was it's kind of like a YouTube, except there's like annual awards. So like back then, it sounded pretty crazy, but like in hindsight, with seeing what's going on with like all the YouTube creators, kind of makes sense. But uh, this was back in 06, and uh, I threw him a couple bucks, and I came in and helped out a little bit. And uh, for me, you know, that sort of ended up failing. But for me, it was something where I was like, hey, this is incredible. You know, like, I want to I wanna do something online because I can build a business without necessarily, you know, sitting in a store all day, right? Mm-hmm. And so that got me fired up. And I started reaching – and so while I'm in college, I started reaching out to uh, – I ended up transferring. I was at Rutgers in Newark, and I transferred out to uh, Montclair State in uh, North Jersey, right? And so when I transferred, I'm talking to the school. I was like, hey, there's an entrepreneurship club. And they're like, no, we don't have one. I was like, all right, that's interesting. I'd love to launch it. So, you know, uh, while I was launching it, the guy who ran the center goes, reach out to the other universities. Talk to them, see how they're doing it, right? So I reached out to like NYU, Columbia, whoever else. And, um, and then in the back of my mind, I wanted to do a startup at this point. I was like, I like tech. I want to do something. I don't know where to start, right? And so I reached out to this guy at NYU, and he's like, hey, I run the entrepreneurship center there. He goes, I run this thing called NYC Startup Mixers, right? And so I'm like, damn, I'd love to build my network in New York City. I want to get involved. You know, so I basically was like, yeah, I'm in, you know, so I ended up working with him. I was doing a lot of like um, sourcing of speakers and like organizing some initial events with them. It's actually funny. I was looking through my speaker list the other day and uh, somebody was actually on the list 
who obviously blew up since then, is, uh, you know Patrick Bet David? Yeah. It's funny. He was on my speaker list. I could reach out to him on LinkedIn like 10 years ago. Well, that was even longer. Yeah. And like, this is why he's still kind of starting up the whole like influencer part of it. Is yeah, I love come speak at events. I mean, now I probably can't even get him, but this is like <laughs> back like 10 years or so ago. And so, um, you know, so I built that up. I was like, this is super interesting. Um, I was doing a lot of events. Uh, and so about, I think about a year or so into it, we ended up merging with a co-working space. And uh, we, be, we became their events team. And that's where I really cut my teeth. I was doing like two, three events a week. You know, literally like setting up, you know, the speakers, the seats, getting the speakers, like actually getting the physical speakers, like making sure attendees showed up. So I was doing everything for the place. And uh, about a year into it there, my partner and I ended up uh, leaving. And he ended up going to a new venture. And he's like, hey, Jason, you can have a list if you want to start your own business. I was like, all right, absolutely. I mean, I have the experience. I've been doing this for about two years now. Um, he gave me the, the speaker list. Uh, sorry, the attendee, uh, the, the speaker, da- the attendee database, and uh, I started to do my own events. So then I ended up launching Startup Boost. And uh, so, so at the end of the day, uh, what I would say is that, you know, Startup Boost isn't something where I was like sitting in a room and I was like, oh, I want to do an event series in an ecosystem. It was something where I had another idea in my mind, you know, came across a few different opportunities and just maximized those opportunities. And, uh, you know, what be- was initially a side hustle became my main business. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. It does. Absolutely. I think a lot of people ultimately end up at their their uh, you know their calling, so to speak, or their main career almost on accident. I mean, I did the same thing. You know, I had an idea for a type of business which transitioned to a different opportunity, which transitioned to the ultimately my career now. You know, so I think that's, right. that's awesome. And what would you say? So I think the big thing is we get a lot of people who listen in that ask a lot of advice on like getting funding and and you know making themselves sexy enough to get that capital. What advice would you give a startup company that's seeking capital to make themselves sexier? Because you've been in this world for five years now. You, you're like yeah. the, you're like the fucking matchmaker over there. So, right. what, would right. you, what piece of advice would you give to people? Yeah, before I even jump into that, just like a heads up for the audience, like outside of startup, we ended up launching an agency called Flex Five, and that's exactly what we do. We help with investor relations, right? So we have a network of 300 tech investors in New York. We got startups who come to us all the time and like, hey, help us raise capital. So to answer John's question. What I would say is this, right? Number one, obviously make sure you have a good idea, a good product. Like that's the first step. If you got a trash idea that, you know, if it's like a feature versus an actual business, that's one thing, right? Make sure you have a real business model and a real business opportunity. That's one. And number two, when it comes to attracting capital, look, if you want to raise that initial family and friends, right? Like that initial, like, you know, seed capital, that's like maybe let's just say 100K or up to maybe 250 if you know some people, you know, you can do that with an idea, right? You can come to them with a business plan and say, hey, I'm me. You know me since I'm a kid, you know, you know, I add value, you know, I'm a hustler. Maybe, you know, get 100, 250 there, right? A good working cost, right? In the other case where you're like, hey, you know, who's shot this thing? I can raise capital. I would say you got to figure out how to get the business to the point where it has strong KPIs or key performance indicators so you can show the investor, say, look, I don't necessarily have 5 million users, but I got 20,000. Here's like the LTV of my customer, the lifetime value. And, uh, you know, let's pour fuel on the fire. Because from an investor's perspective, you know, they don't want to rub two sticks together. They want you to they, they, they want you to rub two sticks together, but they'll pour fuel on that fire. So my advice would be, you know, don't come to like an official VC fund if you don't have that type of traction, right? At that stage, you're better off either, again, going to family, friends, or having a side hustle, or having a day job, or whatever else, to get it to that point where you have those KPIs, and then can go to the more formal investors, right? Say, hey, I have not only real business model, but serious traction. I've done the dirty work. Let's take this to the next level with your, with your capital, right? Because you have to use that capital as a tool. Right, a tool to take your business to the next level. That's what you got to think about it. 
And, and so basically for, for the people that may not understand what KPI is, you're basically just saying like a proof of concept, right? Just something right. that yeah. shows that your business is legitimate. Right. And even beyond that, like more numbers driven uh, uh, indicators, right? So, hey, we got 20,000 users. We have partnerships with NBC, Netflix, and whoever else. Right. You know what I mean? That type of thing. More so, than just so an idea time. on paper. Exactly. <laughs> right, right. Right. And I feel like too many, how many people do you see come to like a startup boost event in front of investors and they have a good idea, but they present it like shit, which ultimately brings it downhill. Yeah. It's funny, man. It's incredible that, you know, the power of presenting something the right way versus, um, you know, positioning it the wrong way and then kind of missing the boat, not only on explaining the value that you're adding, but like why investors should get it. Right. So, so I've seen certain startups where, you know, the, the, the speaker came up there, great enthusiasm, told a great story or whatever else, and it resonated with the investors, despite the fact that it wasn't even that great of an idea, didn't have the best traction. But other people come up there who are like, have this incredible technology, super deep tech, and but they can't, you know, tell that story. And it, despite the fact that it's probably a great investment opportunity, they likely won't get that check because they're not telling the story the right way. Like when you talk to investors, listen, they're human beings. It's human psychology. You got to tell a story that they can relate to, mm-hmm. right? I got so, so, to your yeah. I've got a question for you. So um, I sell real estate, right? And so sometimes when I'm working yeah. with clients, we'll be in the middle of a transaction and they reference, you know, HGTV or million dollar listing. And they're like, well, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Do you think the popularity of a show like Shark Tank benefits you or do you think it hurts you and ultimately hurts the people that are coming on because they're expecting something that isn't reality? That's an awesome question, number one. Uh, so... It's funny. I use it. I actually use it to my advantage. So whenever I talk to people, like, hey, you know, what's your event like? I say to them, it's like a shark tank for early stage startups. We got 20 investors, 20 VCs in a room, five minute pitches. So for me, I leverage it because it uh, translates to the value, right? Um, in regards to expectations, I mean, I think we do a pretty good job. I never have anyone come in and be like, oh, I expected, you know, to have, uh, you, know, uh, you know, someone from the shark tank to actually be there. Mark Cuban to be there, like, got confused about it. They're like, hey, you got Verizon Ventures in the room. You got Amex Ventures. You got Insight Venture Partners. Like people love the events. I never have an issue of that. But so to answer your question, I use it to my advantage, where it just helps me to tell the story uh, in a more simple way, right? Of like, hey, this is why you come to this event because you have a similar experience. Do you think a show like that, though, for for the startups, do you think that it's misleading to them, or is that really a good view into how it's like when at your pitches? I mean, I'd say my events. Um, I mean, first of all, like on Shark Tank, the show, obviously, you have a long time to answer. It's probably like an hour. Maybe you only see clips. Right. Probably an hour or so of like go back, going back and forth, and them highlighting the best stuff. Sure. But I would say, you know, my network of investors, they're very savvy and understand, like, the value they're driving at these events, right? Like, they understand that there's certain insight and feedback they can give. And in addition, uh, you know, they can steer the conversation the, into the right direction so they maximize those couple minutes. Um, so in general, I mean, I think that, uh, just cause we have some really smart investors, they do a good job of making it valuable. I mean, it's not exactly like it happens on Shark Tank. I mean, it, yeah, my events, they don't go into terms, right? Like it'll be more of like, here's my pitch, you know, give me feedback and insight or, or whatever else, but they're never like, all right, cool, good pitch. Uh, I'll give you $2 million for like 5%. Like that'll never happen in my event. It's more of like, let's break the ice, have the conversation, yeah. but we can take the conversation offline and maybe talk about a check, you know? Cool. Awesome. So that aspect of it's out. Like there's no like negotiation on, on, on site. Got it. What do you what do you say to people? So like I've been I'm so with my business and similar to Sal, um, you know, I started adapting social and my first few businesses with no funding and adapting social has never been funded. So I don't really I can't give people experience behind like, hey, you should do funding, you should do this. But one thing that I keep hearing 
more and more from from like just people like you know Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank and different people like him is that like people like I heard somebody say that like people who get funding they don't care ever about profitability it's always about just keep you know keep getting funding what do you think about that it's a great question and I think um, it's an issue right especially with the early stages people get so many of these uh, headlines they see in TechCrunch or wherever else and they're like oh this company makes five million ten million so they think, okay, you know, I don't have to do any legwork. I'll just get those check, you know, check after check, to, you know, doing this thing till the IPO, and then I'll go liquid at that point, right? But um, that's not the reality, right? It's a really small percentage of companies who can pull that off, and uh, a lot of these, you know, businesses are trying to force that model, like raise capital, raise capital, raise capital, when in reality they can raise like a small amount, let's just say, or even bootstrap it. And I have, I have a certain um, attendee at my last event. He has like a recruiting business. Yeah, like the city that's online and he's like look he's like i'm never gonna raise a dollar he goes i can make this a lifestyle business i can probably go with like 10 20 employees without any venture capital um and i can make it you know lucrative for myself grow the team and, and for me i was like wow i like never hear that right and so to your point i think it's almost like an epidemic of like people thinking it's all about raising that next check raising the next check and they're just putting up smoke and mirrors and like just juicing up their their, their business rather than actually um creating a valuable entity that that is sustainable um, so yeah, I think it's a huge issue to be honest with you. I, I think it's uh, a lot of people look at it the wrong way. They, they try to force the funding versus waiting until it's a time where it makes sense for not only themselves, but also the investor and, and really to the customers as well. Cause, cause at a certain point when you get that funding, it just, it does change the way you, you operate that business and the way you can add value to your customer. So, um, yeah, I do think some people are, are kind of premature on the fundraising a lot of the time. And, and, and to the point, like, okay, so for me in my comparison, so when I speak yeah. to any of my clients that are getting funded and are VC, you know, looking for VCs and, and different opportunities like that to get capital, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are, but, and I'm curious about both of your thoughts, but for me, I, I think you have a different type of hustle when you know there's somebody out that wants your money back, you know, or there's like, for sure, if you know what I'm saying, like, it's for me when I was right. hustling, like if I didn't, if I had a bad month, it was like, okay, well I had a bad month. Like I'm going to hustle harder next month. It wasn't like, the fucking world is going to end. The sky is going to fall. This yeah. business is going to tank. Right. Um, and I think that like me personally, the, the, the personality that I have, because I will never give up on anything, um, for, for somebody like to, to have like not a warrant out, but like, you know, something, somebody that, like, you know, if you don't hit X KPI, you know, then your business is going to tank because you owe that person money and then they can come after you. And, you know, what, what are your, both your thoughts? And I'll ask you first, Jason, on like, the way that, like, the difference, actually. My thought is, what do you think the major difference is in somebody who hustles without money and grinds and bootstraps versus somebody who has the capital? Yeah, John, great question. I mean, I'll tell you right now, I'm in the same boat as you. All my businesses have been bootstrapped, you know, self-funded, that type of thing. So, yeah, if I had a bad month, I was like, all right, hustle harder. You know what I mean? Right. Or, or, like, I, I had to iterate or optimize my infrastructure, like, you know, pick up, you know, build up my pipeline better or whatever it was, right? It was always, like, answering to myself. Um, now, so to your point though, when somebody is funded, yeah, that pressure is definitely on, right? Like you're dealing with someone else's money. Um, mm -hmm. and that's why some people are hesitant to raise capital on the other side because like, you know what, you know, I like having the ownership. Um, I like not having to answer to people. I think I have a better vision than like, cause I hear that from some of my clients. Like, look, I'm concerned that when I bring on the BC, um, you know, they're going to steer the vision of the company and that concerns me. Right. So, so some of my clients sometimes are hesitant. To go out to VCs because they're like, hey, you know, uh, I have a certain vision. I know that they're going to interrupt that vision. I know they're going to take it another way. 
and you know, think about the bottom line probably, you know, more than kind of building up a culture or whatever else. Um, so yeah, I mean, I have clients who, 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 who deal with that and they have to think through that. Hey, does this make sense? Cause yeah, the reality of it is, and that, and that's a, so taking a step back, actually, that's why when, you know, say you decide to go out for VC capital, you have to make sure they have a good personal like connection with that investor and a good rapport because if you end up getting in bed with someone who is not a good fit for you um, outside of the capital, right. it can be detrimental to the business, right? So you have to make sure that, um, you know, not only are they giving you a check, but there's that compatibility and, and you know what they actually believe in your vision and don't, because that, that's a big part of vision is huge, right? Especially with the startup because you're creating something from scratch, you have a vision for it. You have somebody who comes in and, you know, now you have two cook, too many cooks in the kitchen, different visions, it's going to leave conflict. So, you know, before taking that check, I mean, listen, sometimes you get desperate, you got to take the check, right? But I'm just saying, if you have that flexibility where you're like, hey, I can kind of pick between a few investors, you got to go with the one that is going to align with you and gel with you versus, uh, you know, make every day, every day a battle, right? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. I, I agree with you, man. I uh, The first business I started, I, I got an investor and... It was certainly pressure and, you know, it forced me to work harder, but at the same time, it brought in a whole new dynamic to that business that was added stress and, and added, um, I don't want to say pressure, but I guess responsibility. And I, you know, in my second business, the next time around, there was no funding and it was all on me and it didn't, yeah. it didn't, uh, it took longer to, to kind of expand that business and grow. But at the same time, there was no there was no challenges as far as working with a partner and an investor, and no one to put the blame on other than myself. And so I think that was very important. You know, there were times in my first business where I'd almost blame my investor, like Jesus, this guy's not here. Any, you know, I'm here. I'm the one here all day, every day. He doesn't know what it's like, you know. And it almost brings me down and frustrates you in the business. And uh, so yeah. I think I think it's a double edged sword. But obviously, you know, at some certain points, you need to bring in capital and investors. And how, so, how was that? How was that communication between you and you and the investor? Like, was it something where like they check in on you, or like because I feel like that's like kind of what always scared me from investors was like, I don't know, like, like I don't want someone breathing down my like I don't know. For me, yeah. like, well, how was that communication? I think between that you and was them? that was a big thing too, and it was it was partly my fault for not setting expectations and boundaries from from the start, but it was not it was not good. So I was <laughs> it was a, it was a small frozen yogurt style business when that whole craze came out where you made your yeah, own thing, yeah, right? Yeah, so I started one of those businesses and. I was literally this there. This is the Donna yogurt. <laughs> yes, here, yes, yes. Donna yogurt. Been slinging yogurt. So, <laughs> um, so I was there twenty four seven, trying to you know minimize my my overhead as much as possible. And um, you know the investor would pop in. I don't know once a month with his family and friends to just grab free ice cream and and uh, you know say like why aren't we making more money? And I'm like, dude, I haven't yeah, yeah. seen you in three weeks. You show up at eight o'clock on a Saturday and ask me like, where's all the money? Like, you know, it was it was challenging. It was very frustrating. Was it a fifty fifty partnership? It was a fifty fifty partnership. Yeah, and that's why. Yeah, you, to your point, like that's why I have to think of that that investor as an extension of the team or as a partner, right? Because that's the reality of it. Like, then come down and like have you know take those shots once in a while. If numbers don't look good and. If you're doing well, they're probably not saying anything. Like, oh, yeah, whatever. Right. Like, you're doing right. your job. So right. you have to make sure that like, there's a good, uh, good relationship there. It's a big thing. And what? And so, and so, segueing into that, um, you know, what are some of your your five or one to five best pieces of advice for people who are looking? Like, what's the best? What should people look for when looking for an investor relationship? Right. So, I mean, I think of. Uh, you know, as far as like that initial conversation uh, in regards to dealing with investors, I mean, okay, there's certain situations, right? Again, there's certain startups who have so much leverage in the conversation because of traction uh -huh. that they can kind of pick and choose who it is that they want. If you're in that case, I mean, 
you got you got to take it like you're dating somebody, right? You gotta you gotta you know break the ice with them. You gotta have you know deeper conversations around product or uh, you know uh, vision, etc. So you know if you're in a, that 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 great situation where you can pick and choose, um, I'd say be meticulous in like taking the time uh, before they cut that check to really get to know each of the investors and spend time with them. Because for me, it's like I'd rather spend that time, the extra time early on, and maybe take an extra meeting or two or an extra poll or two here and there, uh, and make sure that there's the rapport versus. You know, finding out a couple months into the deal that they're like, you know, it's a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Uh, so, so I'd say if I were, um, you know, had that luxury, I would definitely do my diligence and really be meticulous about who I choose. Now, if you're in the other situation where you're like, hey, you know, I only have one check on the table, I would definitely take a step back and say, hey, like, you know, do I necessarily need this money right now? Can I bootstrap this? Can I stick my day job? Can I do other things before I force this check and have this person breathing down my neck for the next year or two and make my life miserable? Um, so that's one thing is like, you know, be, be selective when you can be. And then if you, if you don't have that luxury, I mean, just kind of face the facts and make, make a choice. Um, and, um, as far as like investor relations in general, like my general advice would be make sure that you come in at a time when it comes to, you know, raising capital when, when it's realistic, right? Don't come in when you're at a point where, you know, it's unrealistic, you know, you're not gonna get a check, but you just want to take calls and meetings just to kind of fill up your calendar. Like make sure that, cause then, you know, listen, it's good to be on the investor's radar, of course, but it's almost like a you're almost hurting yourself if you reach out to a bunch of people when you know like you don't fit within their 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 deal stage within their vertical and start spamming them because then when you come back with a more serious like you know progression with your business they're like oh this person already like kind of spam me or whatever else it's like that you only, you only get one chance to make a first impression right yeah exactly so right it, yep I, I agree yeah so I so, said so that, that's my point it's like make sure that you come in at the right time and make sure you have your shit together when you do so like I even have some people come out with like a really shitty pitch deck I'm like, listen, are you sure you want to send this thing out? Like, let, let, let's work on this because uh, it's going to look bad. Like, they're going to take it's going to be a joke to them versus they're going to miss the, that whole vision you have for this business because you kind of rushed into this, right? So, whether it's the content, whether it's the stage of the business, like, make sure you have your shit together before you go after that race, or else you can shoot yourself in the foot, to be quite honest. And it's going to be a bad look, and, you know, people do talk in the industry at a certain point. So, yeah, that's, that's massive, man. And so, as yeah. we're nearing the end of the podcast, we always like to ask, our uh, our guest, you know, is there is there something Jay that you really resonate with? That's like a quote that that you fuck with universally for business, for life, or you know, just Jay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'll tell you. I mean, it's more it's more spiritual, it's more religious for me. But I'd say like you know, it's a Bible verse. But for me, it's like you know, all things through Christ, uh, through Christ who strengthens me. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's just like you know, whatever I go through, it's like you know, for me, that's my anchor. Listen, if you have another religion, whatever your anchor is, or if you don't believe in anything. Whatever that spirituality for me, it's like for me, it's Jesus, and like for me, you know, you know, through Christ, I can do anything. You know what I mean? So for me, whenever I have any doubts, I'm like, uh, I got the key. I don't have any issues. You know? So for me, that's a big deal. That always motivates me and gets me through it. I love that, man. That's fire, dude. That's fire. Yeah, I love awesome. that. Awesome. What you got, Chad? So um, something that I took away from today's podcast, which I think is super important that you mentioned earlier, um, success is all about adjusting along the way and not making the perfect call, right? And so I think right. too many people, you know, they, one hiccup or one misstep and they think everything's over, they, they screwed up. And, and that's not what it is. I think most successful people or all successful people have failed so many times, but it, they know how to adjust and take those things with stride. And I think that's important. Yeah, to, to your point, one thing I wanted to add was this. Like, I realize in general, like seeing all these startup pitches all the time, there's certain ideas that are made in the bubble, right? It's like, oh, I'm in my room and I'm like, oh, this business sounds cool. This would be effective this way or that way. But the reality of it is the real effective businesses are made – by getting out there and getting experiences, sure. right? Like we all, we, we all talked about, a lot of our businesses came from 
succeeding in need based on like being out there and, and going through experiences. Like, you know, a lot of us didn't just sit there and say, hey, for some random reason, I want to start this app or this website. Let's say you work in an industry for 10 years and you see a consistent issue within that industry and then you roll out a certain startup because of that. Like, that's usually going to be more effective than like just you coming up with something. You know what I mean? So, I guess one advice for all entrepreneurs is like, don't try to force an idea. Like, really take a second look around in your current experience and say, hey, there's a way for me to, you know, add some value, make some money doing so along the way. And like, that's where the real businesses typically, or like the, the successful businesses I feel like are created, right? So, something to think about if you're, if you're kind of at that idea stage, you're trying to profit your own business. I love that. And honestly, so people listening in, just just keep in mind, I think some of the key takeaways here, anybody who are seeking capital, like don't just don't just try to make it happen so you can get a big check. Um, and and too many people I've seen in my lifetime, they've they've sold some of their company or they've sold themselves out just to get money now, and they don't realize their capabilities in the next few years that they can accomplish themselves with putting in the hard work and their, their own sweat equity. So yeah. people listening in, like, don't just chase the check and don't just jump into bed with anybody because it could fuck your business um, and it could ruin everything. Um, so, so people listening in, that's super important. And also, again, if you're a startup, I would make sure that you, if you're at the gym right now or if you're in the car, I would go back to this. I would take some notes on this because Jay provided some fire shit today on, you know, on, on getting funded and on seeking people. So, you know, Jay, we, we appreciate you massively, man, and we appreciate your time today. My pleasure, boys. Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate you guys taking the time and having me. I really do. Absolutely. Of course, man. So everybody listening in, create an amazing day for yourselves. And Jay, where can they find you? So this is the part where you plug yourself. Yeah, honestly, I'm best over email. You can shoot an email at uh, jason at flex5.co. So it's J-A-S-O-N at flex, F-L-E-X, the number 5.co. I'm always happy to hop on a call, grab a coffee, whatever else. I'm very open for networking. So reach out. Awesome. You're the man, Jay. Hey, create an amazing day, brother. We appreciate you. And uh, everyone listening, go give this man a follow. And they can follow you. You have Instagram set up and everything ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jason Malky, at J-A-S-O-N-M-A-L-K-I on Instagram. Awesome. All right, there he is. Go find him. You heard him. So, All right. Jay, you're the man, brother. Thanks, have a great day. This has been Breaking Barriers. Like, sub, share. Get more through our social media. And join us next time. The Breaking Barriers Podcast.